really good to be a part of this church, Life Changes City. Really, really good to see you all tonight. We're super excited. If you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 2. If not, it will be on the screen behind me. We're going to read some scripture together, and I'm really, really excited to engage with the Word of God with the incredible people of Life Changes City. Here it is. It'll be on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12 says this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, some men or four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Other translations say they ripped the roof off above his head or they tore the roof off above his head. Seeing, um, then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. I just love how gangster Jesus was. <laughs> just a quick aside, it's got no point in my sermon, but these guys were thinking thoughts, and Jesus goes, stop thinking that. They're like, what? That's, that's hardcore. That's a whole new level. <laughs> I love it. He said, they knew, knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. If you want to learn a line in Scripture, I tell you, that is a line that needs to fill your hearts afresh. We've never seen anything like this before. And I want to tell you, that line has captivated me. And I believe life changes city. You ain't seen nothing yet. That when we encounter Jesus in this season coming out of lockdown, I believe we'll all say, we have not seen anything like this before. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this incredible group of people tonight. I thank you for the privilege that we get to sit together and worship together and encourage one another and hear your word preached together. I thank you, Father, for our unity in you, Jesus. And I thank you tonight that as we hear the word of God, would we not just be stirred, but would we be changed? I thank you, Father, that you bring a new level of conviction and courage to our hearts so we can change the world. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. One more time, why don't you say to your whole row, tell them that you are the best good-looking row that I've ever seen. Tell them, tell them. Right. Mark chapter 2, this incredible text of Scripture that we just led and just read for some context, there are four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Guys, you've written accounts of Jesus' life and, and what, what they saw Jesus do and what they heard him teach. And I love the different authors. I love them. There's a, a different array of them because they bring their different personalities to the, to the front. They bring their different intended audiences to bear in this moment. But I love the book of Mark. Let me give you some reasons why. Because Matthew, Luke, and John, they've got all these, they start a long way back. They start with baby Jesus. 
cute and cuddly. They all start with um, Matthew and Luke start telling us about political situation of the day. They start telling us about Herod. They start telling us about genocide. They tell us about all this, this incredibly weird situation Jesus gets birthed into. John is telling us, uh, Luke is telling us, and Matthew's telling us about genealogies and long exhaustive lists of Jewish names that we find hard to pronounce and that we'll never name our children. No, we're just like, what are we going to do with that? John is dealing with some deep prophetic theology, telling us where Jesus came from, and it's like this, wow, it's deep and amazing and beautiful, and each one has its purpose. But I love Mark. Mark is like me. It just seems like he's a little bit ADD. He wants to skip that whole baby stuff. He wants to skip any uh, genealogy and any history, and he wants to go into full-grown, miracle-working, door-kicking-down, taking names Jesus. He's like, I want, I want, I want some power. And Mark just leaps, leaps in at that, fra- that, that stage, just jumps right in. He avoids the politics. He avoids the, the controversies, the arguments. He's like, let's get to Jesus. And I want to tell you, in this season, Life Changes Church, I believe that we are people that need to get to Jesus. We just need to, there's a whole lot of stuff. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of conspiracy theory. There's a lot of other things going on. And I want to tell you, let's get to Jesus. Because when we see Jesus, we'll be amazed and say, we have seen nothing yet. We haven't seen anything yet. And I want to take us straight to him today because that is what we're doing. You would have received this at the door, a little reminder, a little small gift from us to you to remind you that this is a flip the script season. Flipping the script, that's what we call, we believe God has called us to do. The script for 2021 is simple. You read it, it says recession, it says lockdown, it says fear, it says anxiety, it says batten down the hatches, make it through, just keep your head above water. But we are refusing to accept that script for us as Christ followers. And we're saying it's time that actually, though that's what is in the natural, we want to flip the script and say, God, but what are you wanting us to do? What are you wanting to show us in this season? Because actually, we believe that we are in the greatest days. They may be some of the hardest days, but I believe they're the greatest days. As we have been saying that we are still a people, no matter what is happening, we're still a people called to reach far, still a people called to raise up, still a people called to release wide, and that is what God has for you and I. So we want to dive right into this text. I want to paint uh, the scene today as a remind us of the mission. Take us to the, this Jesus figure who wants to get involved in our lives and take us forward. The scene is simple. Jesus has returned home to Capernaum, and the news of Jesus spreads like wildfire. It is chaotic. It's like he is trending on every social media platform, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even LinkedIn. Somehow the, the, the older generation are talking about Jesus. And that the news is spreading about Jesus, and we are told that actually everyone heard that he was home, and everyone is making a beeline there. I can, I can picture it now. I can see a whole lot of Jewish people in, in, in making, they're making their tracks fast. They're speed walking all the way to his home. They're pushing past one another. They want to get there first, so much for social distancing. The Bible tells us that that home was full to capacity. I've got this picture of that home. Jesus is there, and, and, and uh, some scholars will tell us that it was Peter's home. And I can imagine it's Peter going, Jesus, you told me it was just, this was a private party, the 12 and, and maybe, a, maybe a, couple, a couple others. What happened here, Jesus? I didn't get the brief. My little, my little snacks on the side are not going to suffice. It's a problem if you're hosting, and they, 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 they change the game a little bit. But this, is, this scene is so electric, electrifying, because people want to get to Jesus, and the couches are sagging because a three-seater's got four, five, six people on, people on the corner of them, people on the kitchen table, people standing in the doors, people just hiding, looking in. They, they're trying to get in through the window, people looking through the windows. They're looking through the, any crack they can see. They're trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, and people three, four, five, six rows deep are trying to get in. It's chaos. It's exciting. It's revival. 
It feels like revival. It feels like God is on the move and something new is about to happen. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I love that word revival. And, I, and I, I think that word revival has captivated me in such a way. And I believe we are on the edge of seeing something profound. I believe we're on the edge of seeing something profound. Every revival in the history of mankind, when God steps into humanity and does something extraordinary that doesn't fit the script, that flips the script and changes it all, this, he does this never on the backdrop of easiness. It always happens on the backdrop of hardship, of heartache, of when the world is in a desperate need and they turn their eyes to the only hope. God says, it's time for me to move. And I believe that we are set up for another revival and we're going to be at the front edge of this. And I want to help convince you today. Maybe you're saying, uh, I don't know about me, Gabe. Maybe that sounds exciting for you. Sounds exciting for some uh, charismatic American preachers with big smiles, slicked hair, telling you, saying they say the word, praise God. Maybe it's for those type of people. I want to tell you now I beg to differ. As I read this text, I get to these words saying the house was full, it was packed, it is, it is exciting, it is electric. And it says this, some men, the NLT says four men, but the other translations just say some men, unnamed men, have a paralyzed friend that they put on a mat and say they want to get him to Jesus. And that's the kickstart of where the story reaches its high point. Some men. And I love that phrase, some men. I've underlined it, circled in my Bible. I've put my name above it because these four men who go unnamed and are just almost disregarded a little bit as some men are the people who literally carry revival into the midst of this gathering. I've named this sermon the carriers and the barriers of revival. The carriers and the barriers of revival. And I want to start off by telling you who the carriers of revival are. They are some men, some women, ordinary, average, wild, faith-filled, expectant, somebodies, anybody's, nobodies, who just say, I'm willing, let's go. And I love this story because actually I've, I've been, had this phrase in my heart, revival, thy name is. And I'm so tempted so often to say, revival, thy name is, dash, that incredibly charismatic preacher, when he, if he came and preached here, then we'd see it. Or revival, thy name is this prayer meeting that we have with every denomination at the stadium. If only we can rent out the stadium and get the Christians together. Or we say revival, thy name is a type of worship style or a type of uh, X, Y, Z, you fill in the gap. But actually, I want to tell you, revival, thy name is not a government, not a Christian leader. No, just some men, some women. That's the ordinary and wild invitation of this passage. And I want to tell you that some men who are willing to pick up the mats of those who can't get to Jesus. Those are the carriers of revival. People who are willing to put down what they are carrying to carry the purpose of God into the future. This is the exciting invitation. So I want to lean into this text and tell us three barriers, three barriers to revival that we need to get over that are so evident in the text to me. Number one, very simple tonight to get us going, is the word crowds. A barrier to revival, I believe, sometimes can be crowds. And you know, what, are you, what are you talking about? Surely the aim is to get the place full, and I'm, I'm all for that. I tell you, Jesus is not afraid of, of full houses. In fact, he wants his house to be full. He wants it, and we are after reaching as many people as we can for the glory of God. But here's the, the, the scripture says this in Mark chapter 2. It says, these some men brought their friend on a mat to try and get him to Jesus, and says this, but they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowds. That was the first barrier. And I want to say this juncture that the greatest barrier standing in the way of this miracle was not the man's brokenness or inability to walk. 
The greatest barrier was the crowd of people all huddled together, ignoring his needs. That was so deep already, and I only got one mm, so I, maybe I need to say it in a different way. Let me say it this way. Maybe we'll get elicit a greater response from you. The greatest challenge is not that we're on the outside looking in, but we're on the inside refusing to look out. Maybe I'll put it one more different way. One more try. God's power is linked to his heart. So often, it's deep theology right there. I promise you in one line, if you get this, you get a whole lot. You make a whole leap forward in your understanding of who God is. People think his power is linked to uh, some type of meeting, some type of worship, some type of prayer and fasting, and those things are all good. But I want to tell you that his power is linked to his heart. Just after you watch Jesus and the way he performs his miracles, he does not follow a manual or a status quo. He follows his heart for those who are lost, who are broken, and are desperately in need for him. If you want the power of God, find his heart. His power is linked to his heart. What I mean by that, if you keep reading in Mark chapter 2, in verse 17, you find that actually Jesus, after performing this miracle in this packed, packed house, where you can imagine that's the launching pad for revival. People are pumped. Release your album, Jesus. Tell us your Instagram handle. Let's go. And Jesus says, Jesus left that place, and he's walked down the road, and he met one man named Matthew, who was a tax collector who was the person who was shunned, the person who ripped off the Jewish people, who was a Jewish man who ripped off other Jews, who was isolated. We don't want anything to do with him. But Jesus sees that guy and says, come follow me. I want to come to your house. And the very next part of the passage is Jesus going to that guy's house and it says, and he threw a party there, a dinner party there, for tax collectors who were vilified and notorious sinners. This is who Jesus went to hang out with. He left that massive, charismatic, revival-breaking-out gathering to go hang out with tax collectors and notorious sinners. Jesus? I, I love it when the Bible says notorious sinners. It could have just said tax collectors and sinners. But it says really, really good sinners. You know those type? You know those people who are like, they're good at their sin. These are people who don't, you know, just like, yeah, I do it and I hide it. These are people like, I'm a vert. I'm a sinner. I put it right there on my bio. That is what I do. And Jesus goes and hangs out with those guys. That is flipping the script. That is turning things right upside down. And this is what the religious elites say about Jesus. As they looked and they probably followed him to that house. And where they're peering in at that first house, first gathering, they're peering in at this one. And they say these words. They look in at his dinner party. They say, why does Jesus eat with such scum? Mark's word in the Bible, not my word. The religious elite the crowd who followed Jesus, who looked at him and said, why is he eating with that scum? But Jesus answers them and says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I came not to those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. His power is linked to his heart. What drives his heart? People who need him. And that comes to this tale that has been fueling my heart this last week was that there I, I, I'm live, I live in a home where next door we've got these these neighbors who are in their early 60s and uh, they've processed this lockdown in such a way where they've gone underground we haven't seen or heard much from them except when they throw a loose ball over the wall that our kids have hit over but we've been friends with them for a long time we've uh, we've had conversations over the wall I've invited them many times for years to church and they're like oh, but standoffish hey no it's cool I'm like that's all right relax and, uh, from, and, and then the, the lady, she tells me she's got fibromyalgia, so we've known that. And I've said, oh, I want to come pray for you. And she says, no, just pray from there. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm like, okay, cool. And respect that, which is great. But 
This week, as, as we, I've just been stirring in my heart, I was late for a meeting, as I notoriously am. I'm a notorious late person, not just a late person, notorious late person. Um, but I was on my way out, and I remember I was rushing out, and as I opened our gate, our front gate, I opened it, and I'm running to the car, car keys, wallet, phone, everything, and as the gate opened, the lady Grace, my neighbor from next door, was standing right there at the door. Oh my goodness, did I jump out of my skin. I think it was like the most, uh, I was like, ah! hello Grace. Because I was the least, the last person I was expecting. She's there and she says to me uh, nervously, I'm so sorry, you look like you're late. Um, I'll, I'll come back later. I said, no, no, tell me what it is now. She says, no, can you come over and pray for me later? I know you've invited to me, invited, asked me if you wanted to do that before. I need prayer now. So I, to my shame, I should have probably dropped everything, but I was like, oh, I am late, I'm going to go. Because so often the barriers to revival are the busyness, the crowds, the things that we think are important. When actually, but that's aside, the grace of God kicks in. When I, I came home later, I said to her, I'm coming at 3 o'clock, went to her at 3 o'clock. Long story short, sat with her, said to her, tell me, she's now I'm wrecked with anxiety, fear, the fibromyalgia, the sickness, I need healing. And I, I've come from, she said, years ago, religious background where I used to, I, I know there's a God, but it feels like it's a, a blocked door. He doesn't hear me. And I don't know what to do. She held my hands, trembling. And I said, well, I'd love to pray for you. But first, I need to tell you about Jesus. Because just like Mark, I've got to get you to Jesus. We can talk politics. I can talk sickness. I can talk fears. And, but if we don't get him, we've missed the point. So I told her about Jesus and the kindness of God and, and how religion distorts that and pushes God far away when Jesus came close to put a face on the Father and his heart for her. And as she started to hear, she started to cry, and then we prayed, and we trusted for healing, we trusted for deliverance. And then I said, I was very nervous. I said, well, actually, I think you need to give your heart to Jesus. And she's like, I would like to do that. I'm like, really? I was more shocked. I'm like, okay. So I said, well, follow me. I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> you know, like, here we go. I'm a pastor. This should be part of the entrance exam. But anyway, here we go. And, and I said to her, okay, and I start to stumbling my way through a prayer, and she prays with courage, and I praise it. And after she finished, she looks at me smiling. I said, do you know what you've done? She said, yeah. I said, are you sure? I'm like, she's like, yes. I'm like, I was more surprised than her. I'm like, this, that, was, that was weird. And I leave, and she's saying, I feel something different in my body. I'm like, yeah, that's what will happen to you. And I leave, and can I tell you later on, I said to Fee, I said, Fee, you've got her number, and I want to send her some scriptures. Tell me you got her phone number. And so as I saved her number to my phone, as I do, if I meet you here, I'll, I'll save it as Bob from church, because I need to remember where you're from, you know? You know where I met you, context. So I wrote there, Grace, next door. And as I read that, I just started to laugh. And I was saying, this woman was in a desperate encounter, and she is Grace next door, but that day she met Grace next door. The grace that was next door to her. She thought God was far off, but God was much closer than she thought. He was actually next door. And I want to tell you today that great, maybe for you, for me, that may, grace is wanting to leak out of us. And maybe grace is needed, not just next door, it's from the apartment above you. Grace is needed in the aisle across from you. Grace is needed in the desk, desk at work across from you. On that Zoom call when you notice somebody in the corner. Grace wants out. And Jesus says, my power is linked to my heart. Will you start to see it? And can I tell you in all of this, that as I start to understand and minister the grace of Jesus to her, I receive the grace of Jesus myself. Because God's power is linked to his heart. The first barrier is crowds. The second barrier is ceilings. I love this. In this fact, they said, so they get there. They see the crowd. There's no way in. They go to the front. Would you let us in? We've got a paralyzed man. Sorry, bud. We've, we've booked these tickets for days. Sorry, my friend. There's a hundred limit gathering. Sorry, buddy. This is with social distancing. Keep away. Thank you. That's just my inference. That's not actually in the Bible. But anyway, 
But I can imagine, no thanks, no thanks. So these four men, instead of going, sorry, some men, let's go home, they realize, no, actually, there's a barrier to revival, but we're carriers of revival. We're not going to let that thing stop us. So when everyone else saw perimeters, they're people who saw potential. And their eyes moved from the entrance that was full and blocked, and they looked up, and they saw a roof. And something that was meant to impede people, ceilings that are meant to stop things getting in, all of a sudden became the access point, the entry point for God's grace to break in. So these guys climb up onto the ceilings. And can you imagine the scene with me for a second? Can you imagine this moment, preaching? And all of a sudden, as I'm preaching, dust particles start to fall from the ceiling. And we start to look nervous. A couple of us look up a couple of times. Then we start to see the chandelier start to sway in the, in the ceiling. We're like, what is going on here? And all of a sudden, we start, the dust starts to cascade down on us. And I'm like, guys, attention, yeah. And he was like, no, it's just, what is going on here? And all of a sudden, somebody starts moving down. It would be the greatest meeting we've ever seen. At the very least, we'd get some great Instagram photos saying, church tonight was lit. We blew the ceiling off the place. But this incredible understanding was this reality. I think too quickly we disqualify who we think God can reach and who God will use to do it. We've put this limitation, this ceiling over our lives. That's for somebody else. That's, and that person's too far. That person's too angry. That person's too notorious a sinner. That person doesn't want anything at this moment. And actually, I'm not the guy to bring it. I'm not the girl to bring it. You know, the, my sin yesterday, you know, my disqualifications, my weaknesses, and they're all these ceilings we put over us. But I want to tell you that the, that the barrier to revival is they will never come. They will never change. I could never do that. But I want to tell you that God can and God will and God wants to use some people, somebodies, anybody's, nobody's like you and me. He loves doing it. That's what he loves doing. I love this scripture. goes on and says, so they climbed the roof and they removed the roof. That's just so hardcore. They removed the roof. The other translations say they tore the roof off. They ripped the roof off. It's just so beautiful. I love this language. But the roof of a typical home in those days, I've said this many times, but it still gets me. Typical home, a Jewish home was composed of clay tiles, which were laid on a mat of branches and grass that was supported by wooden beams and that was held together by manure. Colloquially, the word for that word is crap. <laughs> Here's the understanding. For them to get their friend to Jesus, they had to dig through a whole lot of crap. Can I say it as bluntly as that? Is that right to say in a 200-year-old church? Let's go for it. Because actually, I think so often that we are the, the church, the people of God, too often we are not supposed to have our hands clean. Our hands are supposed to be clean in terms of righteousness, but dirty with the, with the muck and the mire of this world. But too often we shy away from the pain. We shy away from the fear. We don't want to get invo ourselves involved in that. But I want to tell you this first up front. Jesus is not afraid of your mess. Praise God. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't leave the room when you sin. He doesn't back away and say, I need a two-week timeout from you. Goodness, that is hectic. No. He became our sin. And this is the amazing thing that actually we can get so caught up, as one preacher said, we can get caught up in doing church in the zoo where we parade around and say, look how amazing we are, look how cool we are. When actually, as Kanye West once sang, if we're allowed to still quote him at this time, in this, in this generation, yes, we are. But he once said, actually, we need a church in the wild. Oh, isn't that a great description or vision for a church? We want to be a church in the wild. Life changes city. We were not existed. We, God, Jesus did not die for us to come to church. 
Can you imagine on the cross, bleeding, bloody, with the sin of the world on his shoulders, saying, Father, take this cup from me. And then goes, because I want them to go to church, have a great 10-minute worship time, sit there and listen to an entertaining TED TED Talk-style sermon, and then have a great cappuccino afterwards. I want them to have a great time. No, he did not die for us to come to church. He died for us to become the church to people who come here to get fueled up, to bring people, that every week we carries of revival, carrying the broken here to encounter Jesus, then going into the world to fetch more, to find more, to take the grace next door, to the grace next door to the office place, to invade the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light. This is the gospel, the church in the wild. We are not made for safe, secluded, sanitized living. Still wash your hands with sanitizer. It's good for you. But don't apply it to your heart. Don't apply it to your, the way you engage with your family, your friends. Actually, God says, invade that place. I want to tell you, years ago, I tell a story often that uh, when I was in Durban, I, I, there was a moment, and please, if you're a visual learner, I apologize about this, but I was in the bath. <laughs> yeah, sorry, just thanks for the one laugh. Um, I was in the bath, and I was there, and I was reading a book, and, 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 and in that moment, uh, if maybe you're not familiar with this sort of language, but in, in that moment, God just started to, I started to encounter God in a bath. It just was like weird. It wasn't a church service. There wasn't music playing. Just God started to speak to me, not audibly, but deep in my heart. And I had this image, and, 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 and my mom had told me a story of how, and the story was that she had gone to a wedding, and the, the couple had gone to the wedding, but on the honeymoon, the wife had died. And I don't know if you can imagine a worse tragedy. All this expectation, all this, the dreams, all the, everything that was ahead of them, the life, the, the joys, the things they're saving up for, the plans. And she dies prematurely before any of it can even begin. And they said this funeral, my mom told me the story that at the funeral, she, he was so devastated that actually they had her in the, in the coffin, open coffin in a wedding dress. And I apologize if this is too graphic. But... Um, he did that because, and the guy was desperate. He was actually saying, I, he was trusting that God would raise her to life. But she didn't come back to life. But there's a, she said there was an image, the story she told us, there's an image that haunted her for a long time was of this husband who was weeping uncontrollably, who actually at the high point of the funeral climbed into the coffin of his dead wife in a wedding dress and, said, and pleaded with her to come back to life. Haunted people. And I was in this moment, I tell this story, because in the bath at that moment, I, that story took on a new life for me as I felt God start to speak to me about my future and said, will you become as undignified as that man and climb into the coffins of my bride and call them to life? Because Jesus calls his church his bride and he says, my church is dead, my church is dying, my church needs to be awakened. Will you go beyond what looks normal? Will you go beyond what just is safe? Would you go beyond church in the zoo and go into church in the wild and to the dead places, the broken places, the, the place of full of manure and disease and brokenness and call people to life? And in that moment, it changed my life. So I can't do church the same. I can't do life the same. Everything has to change and the ceilings have to be broken off in our lives. That's who we are, life change city. The last and final barrier to revival, crowds, ceilings, critics. Critics. You see, Jesus performs this miracle, and it says that some of the teachers of religious law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Is revival breaking out. Crowds of people. Holes in the roof, crippled people coming down, Jesus teaching incredible sermons, forgiving sins, and yet there's still guys in the corner with lemon-sucking faces going, he can't do that. Who's he? That's just not on. That's not cricket. Mm -mm. 
And I want to tell you, when God is on the move in your life, in our lives, there will always be critics, there will always be haters. As the prophetess Taylor Swift once says, haters are going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> but I want to tell you this. I say, there will always be critics and haters, but I pray, my prayer for us is that they will not find a place in our church. Yeah. What I mean, they won't find a place in our hearts. Because so often we say, what about them? But I tell you, criticism comes into hearts very quickly. And the, Jesus said this way. He said that my disciples, my church, my people shall be known for dash. And too often these days, if the church had the world had to fill, about, fill that form out about what the church are known for now, it says the church are known for their political critique. The church are known for their us and them dynamic. The church are known for conspiracy theories. The church are known for weakening of convictions to appear woke. When actually Jesus said this, my disciples shall be known for their love. Their love. Jesus said that. Not an author, not a great speaker, Jesus. If you want to know what we are called to be known for is our love. So I want to say this, who cares what anybody else is doing? At this time, I, I, could not, I could not care less what other churches are doing, what other leaders are doing, what people are saying about us. I want to tell you, I'm too busy carrying revival. There are crowds, there's ceilings, there's critics, but there's some men who said, actually, we don't care about any of those. We're going up on the roof, we're going through the roof, we're bringing our friend to Jesus because we are carriers of revival. We're just somebody's, anybody's, nobody's. They don't need to know our name, but people are going to see Jesus. That needs to grip the heart of the church this time. And I want to say it again. Don't miss the miracle happening right in front of your face. Don't miss the grace next door. Don't miss the grace at your office space. Don't miss the grace that Jesus wants to unleash through your life because you're disqualifying yourself or disqualifying your situation or critiquing the situation. Rather say, God, use me. The most dangerous prayer you can ever pray because he will. And the most exciting prayer you could ever pray. I want to tell you this as I land this. I love this line there. It says this, when Jesus... In the middle of this whole text, he looks up at the ceiling as this guy comes down and he says this to the guys. This is the most profound thing. He says this, seeing their faith, he looks at this man and says, your sins are forgiven. What? That sounds like heresy. Jesus, don't you, haven't you read the rest of the New Testament? It's about a personal commitment. He needs to make a decision for you. And I'm not trying to read, redress theology here. I'm just telling you what I read in the text. Jesus heals a man. Jesus sets a man free. Why? Not based on his faith, but based on their faith. Yeah. Seeing their faith. Now, I'm not trying to stress that to the other paradigms. I'm just going to own that for ourselves in this moment. I want to tell you that revival isn't waiting for a situation to change. Revival isn't waiting for somebody to say, I need help. Survival isn't, revival isn't waiting for a city to repent or for a Christian to get into government. No, no. Revival is, look, God is looking for people who will carry it to a desperate world. Here's my understanding. What if God is looking at his church right now and says, based on your faith, I'll redeem them. Based on your faith, the somebody's, the anybody's, nobody's, you're just unafraid to carry revival. What if he says, I'll heal your neighbors, I'll heal your friends, I'll heal those people you're praying for, I'll rescue and redeem based on your faith. I'll say, game on, let's trust him for that. As I land this, I want to tell you a story that has so convicted me and brought such courage recently. It uh, happens and takes place, true story, in, in the height of World War II. Communist Russia is, is, uh, and Germany are colliding as they're moving across Europe. And we find this family called the Bender family. 
who live in Czechoslovakia, and uh, the Bender family, uh, Vlakov and Camilla, who had six kids. Six kids. You know there was no Netflix in those days. But anyway, six children, and uh, they were Christ-following family, a small home with a large food bill, and uh, in this society where they lived a mile away from the police Russian headquarters, the communist headquarters, that would periodically, week in and week out, would have investigations and would, uh, would, would intimidate people to give up secrets of the community so that they could, who was going to betray the communist regime. And people lived in fear of these police. And people had to, here's the great understanding, that people had to go past the Bender home to get to the police station where they'll be questioned and would be, would be uh, persecuted and pushed under a huge amount of pressure. Vlakov himself was arrested and sent to prison. He was there for four years. And Camilla, the mom of six children, what she did with that time, without, she was just a somebody and anybody and nobody. But what she did with her children was instead of uh, just fueling their fear, she started to read to them Tolkien, Lord of the Rings literature. And she would read them these narratives. And for them, it was so powerful. Why? Because for them, Mordor wasn't some fanciful place out there in their, in their fantasy. Mordor was a mile down the road. A place that was the might of communism, that was against us, wanting out to crush us and destroy us. And they could find themselves in the characters of Frodo and Sam. And though we're small, there's this potential. We can do something. So they took it upon themselves with this understanding, this, this worldview, that whenever people had to go, go down to the police station to be investigated, to be, uh, to be intimidated, to be questioned, they all had to go past the Bender home. And she was there welcoming every single one of them in before they went to their, their, their questioning. And she would put courage in them and remind them of who they were, remind them that actually they didn't have to give up the secrets. They could stand strong, that they were courageous, that there was more for them. And they would go there to that, and many of them would, would stand resolutely. And actually the story would go that many people who then would actually end up falling and betraying and sharing the secrets about their friends and family, they would be ashamed and had to walk up the hill past the Bender home. And every time as they walked past her home, she was at the door again saying, come on in for another cup of tea. Don't worry, you actually you'll do better next time. There's more courage. She put courage in them to leave with their heads up. Historians tell us that in that little village right there, and the, and the, the, the outlying villages of Czechoslovakia in that moment, they can trace that the, 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 the growing resistance and ultimate fall of communism in that area could all be traced to one home called the Bender household. A woman whose husband was in jail, who had six kids, and had the Lord of the Rings narrative as their guide, saying this is what God has got for us. And I want to tell you, at this moment, life changes city. You might look around and say, hey, what, maybe we are a limit of under 100 people gatherings. Okay, that's the limit. That's the ceiling. Or uh, there's other things playing in our hearts. I want to tell you, we don't need large numbers. We just need to be able to carry revival in our hearts. Because that's how we will reach far. That's how we will reach the city for Jesus. That's how we will reach our neighbors and bring grace next door. So I want to pray for us. Because tonight I want to tell you the great hope that I have is not in our ability not in our rhetoric, not in our, our skills or anything. My great hope is the fact that we have a king named Jesus. Mark goes straight to Jesus, and I want to go straight to Jesus for you and I, to lift him up in front of us, that the scriptures tell us that he broke and overcame every barrier to get to you and I. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel disqualified. Maybe you feel more like the paralyzed man. You've been paralyzed with fear, paralyzed with shame, paralyzed with guilt, paralyzed with inadequacy, paralyzed with fear, paralyzed with anxiety, depression. I want to tell you, Jesus says, actually, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. 
I'm the grace you need. And, and, and you're not here by accident in this moment. You see, this is the Bible tells us about Jesus. These four men climbed on a roof and ripped the roof off. They tore the roof off to get a man to Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus did for you and I. The scripture said this, though he was God, he rendered the heavens and came down. He tore the heavens asunder and came down. That he, he breached the great divide. Man saying, God, where are you? You're so far. He said, okay, I'm coming to you. I'm going to come into your mess, into your brokenness, or into your depravity. I'm coming to you. The scripture tells us that when he died on the cross, it says the, tur- the curtain was torn from top to bottom. It was ripped apart. It was torn apart so that we, wicked man, could come into his presence with boldness and confidence. And ultimately, we know that when he died, he died the most gruesome death, and his body was ripped apart. It was torn, broken for you and I, so that we could come into the presence of the Father. He carried revival to us, so we could receive him and know him. And now he says, will you do the same? Will you do the same? Filled with my power, filled with my grace, there's a waiting world who need to meet grace.